0: Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where you're smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators so we can all become better property investors together.
1: Yeah, and we are live on Oz Property Investor. We bring the big names and we have the big fun for the last time of 2023. How are you going, Jerry? Wow, What's happening?
2: Very well. You and I off air were having a crack at that, Joe. I was giving the best imitation I could and I think I got into Horrendous. three words and forgot do what I was again. saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love it. Good. All that energy. That's what we need. That, that is, is what we awesome. need. we got one session. This is the last session, Jeremy, and I know you're going to bring the bangers. So I'm, uh, I'm excited about this. Um, Joe, Jeff, should, what are you excited about? Come on. Hey, how are you going? <laughs> yes, that's what we do. We ask, How are you, Jeremy? How are you?
2: Um, well, guys, thank you very much. And just for everyone out there listening, um, as a reminder, I was number two or number three in the Oz Property Group subscriber list. Um, the invitation from from Jeff. So I've been following you guys and following the whole group since the very start. And congratulations to having over 60,000 members, probably making you now the largest property group in all of Australia. Well done.
0: It's very strange to hear, isn't it? It's very weird that we are. I, I, I believe we are, as far as I can tell. If anyone can please dispute that and find if there is a larger property investment group that they are a part of, I'd love to know because I think we are the largest. Um, so I'll take it um but Give us it's a nice only rating sure on
1: spotify people, people. I, I feel oh I feel, yeah. I feel yeah yeah someone
0: a <laughs> couple of people have gone on our spotify and just destroyed our rating we have like seven reviews and two of them are just abysmal Eleven. um and it's, it's it's ruined our uh, it's ruined our ranking but the only reason we're, we've gotten to this stage jeremy is people like you people like you sharing wisdom you are um an absolute legend in the uh, in the property space. Um, so I'm excited to unpack. What are we going to talk through? What are we going to talk through tonight? Is what's in store for 2024? Is that what we named it, Jeff? We did. You 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 came up with the
1: name there, Joe. But uh, I, I think it's it's about more than just that. I mean, that's a catchy title, and it's all about these predictions and all that sort of stuff, which is, which is great. However, I think along the way, we're gonna, there's going to be those sort of timeless classics that, that people can take away and, and, and look to apply for their investing beyond 2024, beyond the next hotspot, because that's ultimately what's going to get you. The hotspot will sort of turbocharge if you can sort of get, uh, get fortunate and, and pick some of the, that sort of stuff from some of the people we've had on this year. But I think that's what I'm excited about, to share that sort of longer term strategic um, sort of acceleration of property and wealth. So yeah, that's what we're going to be talking to tonight. I'll take
0: two of those, locations. please. Take two of those. Um our content of the week show. Yes. Should we do it? What is your, what's your content of the week, mate? So we.
1: So I was listening to a podcast with uh, with with Lewis Howes and Joe Dispenza, and I, I feel like I'm just I'm picking Lewis Howes because I've listened to it, on am putting the clothes, taking the clothes in, just before this, and I was like, you know, what? this is interesting. Like he was talking about abundance and about how our life. Life frames uh, are going to be expanded, or that they are sort of expanding uh 0. 0.2 or 2.25 years every year from from now. So our, our our longevity is increasing. And he's sort of saying in about 10 to 15 years, he's saying that for every year, it's likely that you'll be able to still be able to increase our life expectancy by a year. And it was just like, wow, is that if we can actually do that? Like that's going to be insane. Like, and he's not going to say we're going to be immortal because he's kind of saying you, you'd sort of start to see average people average life expectancies of sort of 120 to 130, 140 being more of the norm. So I just thought it was really interesting to share that podcast. Do you want
0: that though? Like, I I don't know. know. I don't know. Like when I'm 95, I don't know if I want another 30 years of being 95. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, But I'm all for it. Go for it. If, If we're lifting weights at 95, making it happen, living life to our fullest, I'm all for it. Um, well, we, what's your well, quote, What's your well, content of the week, Jeremy?
2: I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey, uh, massive fan. So anyone listening, he's a bit of a finance guru. He's not afraid to tell it how it is. Um, I love listening to his YouTubes quite late at night, and he gets to answer a lot of people's questions, people that ask normal questions that don't have the answers, and he gives them the answer straight away. But my content of the week is from him talking about unlocking the snowball effect um i think there's a lot of people that love that instant gratification and they don't let things gravitate to be bigger and bigger and bigger over time uh, we want those fancy cars early we want those nice holidays quite early and if you let the snowball continue to grow by the end of it you look back and you say wow uh, it's 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 a monster so to me that i live my life that way everything i do i start with little steps and say what will it look like in 10 years
0: yeah nice so so what? How would you define? How would you describe it? The the snowball effect, just little little micro steps that build upon each other. To, Consistency. To give you that. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Consistency. I think showing up, consistently showing up. I, I I think that is absolutely key to a well everything in life. Like you can't go to the gym one day a week and get absolutely wrecked and then not go for another two two three months. Um, you've got to consistently go three four times a week to be able to see any kind of results and and property finance money is is exactly the same. You've got to show up relationships make-
1: with, with everyone. Yeah, you kind kind of can't just expect to rock up with somebody you haven't spoken to for five years, who's now a property mogul, and say, "Oh, look, could you, could you unpack all that? Like, where have you been the last five years? Now that, yeah." But um, it's kind of reminds me of the slight edge or the one percent one percent rule. Um, by one was by Jeff Olson. One was by Darren Hardy. Like those books talk talk all about the compound and just doing those those small things day in, day out that are easy not to do. If you don't do them, you won't notice them for a day day or next. But if you do do them, you'll start to sort of build that momentum over time, which is just exciting and, and great. So great little share there, Jeremy. When's that podcast of yours with uh, Toddy coming out? Can we share? Are we uh, allowed to talk about that? I think, oh, should, yeah, uh, been, it's, I think
2: it's getting edited at the moment, but it's, oh, yeah, here what, we school, go. it's what school should have taught you. Um, that's the whole theme of it. And, we really go through the basics. I think the um, just the financial literacy I, I believe is lacking for for many people and I was lucky enough to have some really good people around in my life um, and and father who was very educated in accounting as well. So it's, it's really giving people all those little lessons, these little one percenters which add up to something much larger and we go through a lot of live phone calls as well. Uh, people calling up with their questions and we answer them. So very similar to almost like a Dave Ramsey style. I was going to say, stuff. I'm Thank like, you? this
0: is, you, you pitched, you pitched me the idea and it is pretty much someone calling in and saying, Hey guys, I have a massive problem and I need a finance guru to solve it. And I was like, that's, yeah. that's Dave Ramsey. Jeremy Inizelli, are you the Dave Ramsey of Australia? Is that what, is that?
2: It's on a daily basis. You know, I obviously as an accountant, I, that's my forte, but I, I literally spend 80% of my day now talking 20% tax and 80% solving problems that aren't related to tax. And they're all things that work towards wealth and creation and mindset and, and just basic things, as I said, a little 1% is to get you over Lyme. And um, you know, it could be as little as offset accounts, understanding how to use them to more complicated things of just how to budget in your life. Um, so, yeah, it's coming out very soon. So, Todd, you've got your plug uh, if you're listening. Thank you, Jeff <laughs> and Joe. Um, but it's hey. really exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Todd pays, your content, right? pays, for the, pays for the plug. That was a non-paid for plug. <laughs> <laughs> How do we get paid for this plug? You remember, um, I'm, my, I'm an
2: account accountant, gentlemen. So always trying to find a
0: move the numbers over. Yeah, go from his account to my account. That's all that matters. Um, okay, cool. Let's let's crack to this. But I'll give you my content of the week. It is a podcast called uh, What is it called? Business Wars. Fantastic podcast. Um, it is done by a platform called Wondery. Um, so if you just type Wondery in, they've got a great lot of business podcasts. Um, like they did one about WeWork and it just goes over all of how WeWork came about and crashed and burned and how crazy it all went. But um, I like Business Wars. that's pitting against two businesses against each other. So like Baskin Rob, no, not Baskin, it wasn't, it was hagen dazs and um, Ben and & Jerry's and how Ben & Jerry's overtook and just goes through it all. Disney versus... Netflix versus Blockbuster, did it do those two? Sure, do it
1: they even did WCW versus WWF. Um, oh, <laughs> WWF owned them. Yeah,
0: WCW. Yeah, WWE, actually. WWE. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm excited to unpack a little bit more. Before we do that, we've got to dive into uh, a quick little break and then we'll be diving in. Into- Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special announcement from the master of commercial property investing, Steve Polisi. I love commercial property. Get ready to have your minds blown as Steve is back and he's got some pretty exciting news for us. Steve is unleashing his second sensational book upon the world. And get this, for the Oz Property Investors members out there, he's giving it away absolutely free. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. 100% free. Yep. 100% free for all property enthusiasts who want to learn and grow on their commercial property investing journey. But he's also added a little extra chili to make this deal even spicier. With this free book, you'll also receive a complimentary one-hour strategy session with the man himself. Imagine a full 60 minutes with Steve's commercial and property genius dedicated to helping you master the intricate dance of commercial property investing. And who better to dance with the man who looked better than Patrick Swayze in Dirty Dancing? I don't know about that. Want to grab this offer? It's super easy. If you're live right now, click the link in the comments and secure it today. If not, grab your device, open up the browser, head over to plicyproperty.com, look for the book page and grab your free copy of Steve's latest masterpiece. And when you're checking out, make sure to use the exclusive code OZPROP to secure the free book and also your free one hour strategy session. My only concern with this offer is that Steve's gonna to have to turn it off soon as he can only do so many sessions. So if you want to secure your spot, do so today. Oh, passed
2: out there.
1: There we go. I saw, I saw Steve pumping up that. What did he buy for 25 million or something? I was like, interesting. He smashed yeah, out a big purchase. Must have taken a bit of negotiation there. Yeah, $26 million
2: <laughs> property. Big, big net. Oh, there you go. It's already it?
1: gone up a million
2: dollars. I, yeah. I thought it was
0: 27, 20, to be <laughs> fair. So it's gone up 2 million.
2: <laughs> oh, it's a massive deal, though.
0: With the cracking, cracking net yield. And that is uh, that's the way to do it. I mean, actually, yeah. actually, Jeremy. Uh, oh, actually, we got to introduce you, Jared, Jeff. Sorry, I've jumped the gun here, but I am interested about asking about commercial property and some of your more um, affluent clients. So I'm going to frame, just phrase that. But who is that this guy, be, Jeff? Who are we got in front of us?
1: That was supposed to be at the end. I'm um, supposed about that, but that's okay. We can talk about it now, but um, Jeremy, I've sort of looked up, I thought you were only 20, I'm going to say you're 20 plus property. I I saw somewhere it said 30 properties now or something. So I don't know which you've just, you've owned a lot of properties, more than than many people.
2: 23, 23 properties at present, Um, was over 30, did sell a number of properties during that COVID pandemic Um, craziness. Um, So it was a good opportunity to pay down some debt and rebuy some more properties. Um, Always looking for constant improvement and pivoting.
1: Yeah, I like that. But you've got, I think it's over fifteen years experience now, um, and you focus, I think, on small, medium businesses. But and you, I suppose it says you're an enthusiastic property investor. But I think you're you're a you're a, an, a and like a contagious property investor. But I think the thing I love about well, I love about you is you love sports as well. So I don't I don't necessarily love that you're a. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not a huge rabbitohs fan, but that's okay. You. You're better than us, and you're but yeah, and you you love your cricket as well, man, And you're also a a, a proud dad. So how, how good is that? So yeah, that Thank is. I, I think I botched that a little bit, but you've you've got a lot of experience and done a lot of fantastic things in your career, and much more to come. So here we are, here we are today. So I I usually we usually ask people what you, what their favourite property purchase is, but I want to I want to know what um I want to know where you're looking what where you sort of see where your next purchase is likely going to be? Like, where, where you kind of seeing opportunity in?
2: Yeah, so it, a bit controversial when I say this because it goes against what many people are reading and learning, but I always follow my mantra, and that's going against the grain. Uh, at the moment, I'm looking at uh, land opportunities, so vacant land opportunities, and I'm also oh. looking at, at areas in Victoria as well. Um, yeah. While Victoria yeah. is, is absolutely being hammered, um, and hammer in still property investors with some changes to landlord rules and, and land tax changes, as we all know about. Uh, there's a lot of areas there that I've looked at that are still anywhere between 20 to 25% below their COVID peak. And, um, you know, there's a lot of interstate migration that's left Victoria and gone to the more northern states and western states, uh, but it is still and has always won a number of awards of being one of Australia's best cities, Um, It is still the the second largest state by population. And I do believe, like anything in life and property cycles, when we do see a boom and prices do drop, it does go back to that boom price and plus more. Um, So I do see Victoria as an opportunity, but I also see vacant land as an opportunity because the developers who have been holding the price can't hold it much longer. Land tax, interest rates, opportunity cost. And therefore, we're starting to see prices claw back a bit. And same with builders. We all know building approvals down substantially. Builders will start have to start sharpening the pencils. There'll be a flow-on effect through deflation. Um, so it's trying to get in early um, and being ahead of it, but also being against the grain. So not trying to follow the herd.
0: Yeah, super interesting because um, I mean. The way I look at look at the the Victoria market, there's a property that's for sale for five hundred thousand dollars that sold two years ago for seven hundred thousand dollars. What's the likelihood that that property is going to go back up to seven hundred thousand um, dollars? So I do think there is some opportunity um, there as well, but I'm also I don't think it's there just yet. But I do I do agree that if you're a, the smart money. Um, and if you've got that, if you've got the capacity to hold it, especially when you're buying land as well, there's some real, are you seeing amazing buys? Like just, just the agents are constantly calling you back and trying to fight for your deal.
2: The, the pro mostly project marketers, especially the greenfield stuff. Um, they are like, yeah, they're crazy. Um, in the sense that they're not leaving you alone. So that to me tells me there's a lot of. There's a lot of desperateness in in their approach and that's where there's opportunity you know someone who's thinking about selling not really needing to sell they're not going to give you the best price uh, not unless you're using a great buyer's agent Um, but nevertheless for me you know i'm trying to look at lower competitive markets and at the moment wa is a very highly competitive market and without a buyer's agent looking at off-market deals you're just not going to get in there for the average public user um, and that's pretty much very similar for some parts of Queensland. So I've never been one to try to fight the crowd. Uh, I've always tried to look at that next key area. So, for instance, WA, I was buying there in late 2019 and very early 2020. Um, and the majority of properties, and, and Joe, you, I've shared with you my story about buying in WA, the properties I'd purchased in WA during that time were on the market for longer than a year to the point where the real estate agent was saying, Jeremy, just make an offer. Forget about the listing price. Just make an offer. We don't care if it's 150000 below. Just give us something to go back to the vendor with. Um, and it was even saying to agents at that time when I was making offers, I really don't want to make an offer for this property. Um, and then obviously since then the market's significantly boomed and will continue. I think there's still a little bit, well, not a little bit, there's still a medium term left to go in WA as, as their economy's been uh, really ramped up by mining and the price of minerals. So what it's yeah. what just, gave
1: you the confidence to make that sort of move at sort of 2019, 2020? Like, what did you sort of, what did you think that that was the, the time to, yeah, to get true. into that? Like,
2: yeah. yeah, mineral price mineral prices started, we just came off a banking Royal Commission um, and WA got really hit. There wasn't, there was nowhere near the level of investors. In fact, investors kind of left WA alone while they're still focusing on, on New South Wales as a core state, parts of Victoria and, and Queensland. Um, so for me, there was a number of days on market. Mineral prices were starting to kick up a little bit, and then COVID and lending really exacerbated the shortage and supply—the shortage of supply there. Um, so that was a, a major factor that contributed to why I went to WA. Um, and the same—I I look for the same feeling. For me, it's not the numbers. I know many people focus on the numbers, and many buyers agents are data orientated. I—I I like to get the feel. Um, you know, what's the feeling? You know, during the Royal Commission, the feeling was negative about that property or that that area. WA, negative. And, and now Melbourne, it's a very negative feeling for investors. And and I know policy and how policy works. Property has to continue to grow for our internal GDP to increase. So mm. governments come in, they'll change. Like land tax went up and it went down, it will find its equilibrium again and, and thus will mm. start that second wind.
0: Well, that's the thing. I mean, the government is has printed billions of dollars, and that has flowed through through, well, flowed trillions through Probably not. Uh, whatever it is, trillions. many billions, and and they've spent a lot of infrastructure money on in in Victoria, right? And none of that has been realised. Like, how much money this? Like, the property prices, land prices, have not gone have not gone bananas. But all this new infrastructure, all these builds, all this new stuff is there that opens up the place, makes it better, makes it more efficient. It just hasn't been realized yet. Like we bought a property in in Victoria. Um, the purchase, uh, the the list price was five sixty, I think it was, and we bought it for five hundred. Um, like sixty thousand dollars under market value, right? Like what every bloody buyer's agent wants to say. But it's just creating opportunities and finding a deal that that has has that potential. Five hundred, great, we'll take it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. see you later. No, no, no. Come back, come back, come back. We want, we need your deal. We need your deal. Perfect. Then great. Take it mm-hmm. at a, take it at this rate.
2: And and I think for me, what what it what it really comes down to and encourage everyone to understand is how your return's being generated. You know, generally as property investors, when we talk about return, automatically start to say, what's the rent per week? What's its yield? But property is so much more than that. Property has two mechanisms to its level of return. It's got a capital return, which is the appreciation of the property's value. And it's got a rental return, which is its ability to hold itself and, and pay for its costs. So do I look at Victoria? Am I going there for a rental return? Absolutely not. You'll be broke after two or three properties. Um, But if you can really understand what you want to be buying in that area or in that market or in that state and how to really get the best out of the property in terms of generate that level of return, I feel that Victoria for me is going to give me that opportunity because there's really great small development sites, one into three, one into two, one into four, which have been crippled by high interest rates and significantly lower building activity and to me there's a discount there compared to where they were at the peak of the market some of these things are off 2 300 grand and been on the market for quite a while so that's where i see my level of return it's not by renting but it's by buying at the right price being able to hold it through that development time frame and then being able to sell it in in a shortage housing environment
0: yeah, yeah. nice. One, one thing just to flag for some of the new people that may have joined um that are first time property investors this this is not the strat- this may not be the strategy for you. Um Jeremy's quite far along his property investing journey he has the capital has the the cash flow and the assets it doesn't mean that has you know, experience as
1: well is. I think. I think that's probably the underrated thing that that many people like you can have cash flow and capacity but if you if you don't necessarily have the the kind of tools in your toolkit to know how to execute this stuff. I think it can be dangerous, yeah. even if you do have a lot of mm. properties. But yeah, to so Joe's point. Yeah,
0: because there's, op- I mean, there's still great opportunities over there in WA where you can buy a property for you know five hundred and fifty thousand. Um, that'll be worth six hundred and fifty thousand in not too much long of a time, and also the rental yield is at five and a half percent. So That's it's funny. like you can have your cake and you can eat it too, but you've got to be able to buy that asset. But Jeremy, you're playing the long game where you're buying a. Six hundred thousand dollar site and it's worth two million dollars. Like those type of, you're just playing a different game at a, at a different yeah, level. But I just want
2: to. Yeah, it's definitely not for everybody, and and that that cash flow at the moment is one of the biggest key. And we'll we'll talk about that when we start to go through what I'm seeing from a client perspective, and and mm-hmm. yield at the moment being able to support your property is far bigger than trying to generate really lengthy capital returns. Um, so if you are new into invest- investing or you've got a couple of properties under your belt, that what I'm doing is probably not for you. Um, you. You've probably still got a bit more of a core property portfolio that you need to build. build that is sustainable with good long-term cash flow so that you can continue to hold this through multiple cycles
1: it's a nice little dovetail there because I wanted to, one of the things, I want to talk macro before we get into around the, we've talked Ooh. a bit, little bit around the grounds and I know you wanted to ask about commercial property, Joe, you'll, you'll get to it. I'll, I'll, I'll put a pin in that one. But what do you, you sort of, and throw your questions in as well, people. I, I'm sort of soliloquing now for, if you want to know about accounting, if you want to know about property, whatever you want to know, I'll drop it in the comments now. And we'll get to it at some stage, probably. But I want to know, 2024, what does it look like from a macroeconomic? We're talking inflation, interest rates, unemployment, migration. What are, what are you sort of seeing in that space? Are rates well, going think, to rise again or drop Yeah, or I what think
2: what it's good to do is I've, I've done some statistics and we shared this earlier. It's good to kind of look at a, a cap of 2023 from my view. And then look at a of what I believe 2024 will look like. So from a cap perspective, we know that 2023, we've seen interest rate hit all-time highs over the last 12 to 13 years, with the cash rate now being over 4.5%. Um, we've seen inflation starting to come down, heading into a deflating market, changes in policy, obviously, through immigration. But in my client base, very interesting statistics I pulled out today for this time one thousand and eighteen properties were purchased by my clients in this calendar year, January all the way through to December. Of which, <laughs> um, of the one thousand and eighteen properties sold, there were were one hundred nine. Uh, sorry, bought one thousand eighteen bought, and one hundred ninety seven properties sold. Um, so there's a net increase in the in the clients' property portfolio of roughly over nine hundred properties, of which sixty one percent of the properties that were purchased in this calendar year were in WA.
0: So in WA alone,
2: In WA, in WA I, I couldn't nail down um, specifics around areas, of, but, but right, 61% yeah. were purchased in WA, 23% in Queensland, and then the balance of properties are being purchased in other places. Um, I couldn't narrow down what's PPOR versus what's investment, but I'm assuming with my client base, probably a very large portion right. is, um, is investment. mostly investment. So that's a bit of a cap. That's a very strong property data, um, and I probably think that's one of the strongest. Now, yes, we've got a large client base, but that's definitely the biggest year that I've seen my clients do, um, and that's wow. moving into a high interest rate environment where we all thought the world was going to collapse or at least the Australian property market. Um, so that was very interesting and, and gave me a lot of solace to say there's not a, pain, there's not a world of pain out there um, and mm. people are still buying. It's just that their values in the property have shifted. And the values have shifted from the eastern seaboard now to a more affordable market, a market that's grown quite substantially in the western area, uh, while people are trying to chase now these yields. And ultimately, Joe, as you know, you've been buying there as well, the values have really increased. Um, You know, my WA properties have more than doubled in the space of four years. So, and I still think there's a bit more to go. I I haven't pulled a trigger to sell it. I believe there's a bit more to go so that was an interesting
0: what's the demographic of your kind of uh, clientele like how would you describe or paint the picture so we can know the type of person or people that we're dealing with
2: yeah so I'd probably say on average majority of my clients would be your middle to high income earning clients so probably starting at anywhere between 120 upwards from there majority in small business or in um, higher paying income jobs so I'd probably say a little bit above, you know, what you would determine as the average Australian income and person. Um, but yep, nevertheless, yes. you know, again, just to see over 600 properties being purchased in WA um, yeah, was, yeah. was a huge number. I, I just, I don't think I've seen a concentration like that ever.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, not even I- people kind of looking in, at Brisbane in sort of 2020 or 2021.
2: Yeah, no, I don't, not at that level, not at that level. So, because you remember, New South Wales was still bubbling quite a bit during that time as well. So, there was still a lot of, yeah. a lot of people, and probably Adelaide as well. As
1: well. was kind of kicking along quite, quite, yeah. quite
0: well. But that's, and is that it, just
2: goes to show it's hot, very hot market.
0: Because that, that means they're pretty sophisticated investors, right? Like, this is where sophisticated investors have been, they've got a resource, they've got to allocate it somewhere. Where are they going to put their money? And sixty-one percent have put them in WA. Do you see? Or are they you just see, following? Or are following they the me. herd? Oh. Yeah. No, but uh, um, where do you see? Do you, I guess you can't really see the future because you haven't got the data for the future. Um, but are you seeing a shift in moving to other states, or, or are you seeing any kind of any changes in that? You're seeing more. So ten yeah. percent, around eight to ten percent of people have sold property. Is that yeah. starting to increase? Like.
2: What's but, that, that, leads right? us, that leads us to 2024 now. So mm. what I am starting to see and in my client base, I'm starting to assist a lot more people with capital gain tax calculations. So they're starting to provision for CGT. So people are starting to say, my property's done really well. Now, mind you, I haven't really had many clients that have made a loss on property in those 197 properties that were sold. So most people are exiting properties, making a substantial amount of coin. Um, but, what what I'm starting to see is that rates are starting to pinch, no doubt about it, um, you know, for the people that have started to utilize their buffers. So I'm definitely seeing and I do believe that number of properties sold will be more in 2024 as people start to say, you know what, I'm overpaying these higher interest rates. I've made a good amount of money. I want to maybe pay down my home or maybe pivot into another area, into another property market. Um So I do think I'll start to see more clients sell. We do know now that we're in a deflating market, we're starting to see inflation coming down. Um, However, again, I'm not an economist, but I love to say that I am a backyard economist. I do believe inflation still has a lot of pressure, considering there's the back end now of the immigration to come in. Although we did see the government this week now change the immigration policy. Um, to really scale back down to more normal levels of migrants coming into the country instead of this very exaggerated amount. So that will change the property market too because now we're going to have less demand, but that will take time to flow through. This is not an immediate light that turns on and off. Um, As we've seen the property market increase, it's going to take a little bit of time before it starts to find its equilibrium again. Um, And that's quite important for many people out there. Equilibrium in the property market is a good thing. We want properties to track at their normal standard rates. When they go up too quickly, we start to see things happen on the other side just as quick. So equilibrium, anyone who's trying to chase 30% growth in one year sounds really good on paper, but if you don't time it, the chances are you'll come out the other side with probably very empty pockets. So stable growth is important. We are starting to see deflation, as I said, across the world. So that means that we'll start to see prices drag. And, Jeff, I know you comment quite a bit, and for many people that are out there, interest rates coming down, while it sounds fantastic when you obtain debt, for interest rates to come down, it means the economy is actually slowing. And with an mm. economy slowing, that means we've got less money circulating. We've got prices coming down. We've got less GDP being created, which is what we export compared to what we import, less internal GDP. Um, and what that will tend to show is that we're going to have people losing their jobs, not getting significant higher, amount of, uh, higher amounts of pay increases, less jobs being created. So these are all then pressures which deflate the economy. And therefore, if people haven't got jobs and high-paying jobs to you know, pay the things they want to pay or invest the way they want to invest, then it drags prices down. So I always say to people, be careful what you wish for. What we want is a very stable economy. Um, Where rates kind of trickle along if anything just hold and inflation does hit that target of that two and a half percent they've recently come out with because what many people don't understand is inflation is cancer. It is that invisible hand the invisible tax which really takes your money and your wealth away if you're not investing it in the right spaces.
1: Just uh, just yeah. anecdotally has anybody noticed that over the last sort of month or two that that um on your on your average sort of grocery shop it's actually come back a little bit has anybody noticed that or is it just me am I, I cuz I I noticed my average shop had been sort of 150 to up to 200 bucks whereas now it's sort of it's sort of that 80 to 100 110 and apparently talking to some people they sort of saying that that they've had to sort of worse and Coles have just had to cut cut back some of those so well record profits
0: make a record profits, right? They were like,
2: oh no, inflation, yeah. it's going to get So go- the go- I think then, the government
1: uh, stepped in and said, well, hang on a minute. So I, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, suspe- I don't, yeah, which. Yeah,
2: I mean, yeah a common, the common term is a, inflation becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more we talk about inflation, the more it's ingrained, the more people have an excuse to lift prices. Um, so the narrative needs to get changed and get changed quickly because we really shouldn't have inflation at the moment. We've got money being sucked out of the economy. Um, and therefore we should be seeing things starting to come down but yeah people uh, profits over people it's always been the big big end of town's motto
0: and and do, well, what do you see for the next 12 months then in terms of in terms of interest rates like do you do you do you see it rising a lot more flattening just staying still or do you see it going up and then boom down like yeah. how, how do you kind of see it playing out
2: Big couple key changes is the Reserve Bank's reducing the amount of times that they meet in a calendar year now. So that's gone from 11 times to now eight times. Um, again, at the pressure of, of the Australian government, they wanted to reduce the amount of times that they have an opportunity of lifting things. Um, <laughs> so Enjoy. I love that one. Thank that's you. great. Um, so that's that's something that that's quite important. So I do believe that rates will actually stay quite stagnant, although there's a lot of a lot of noise out there to say that rate should actually increase because to really bring inflation down you really can't get inflation to meet rates it's it's very hard to do it's that soft landing that they all talk about the real way to bring rates down and you saw it for anybody who's who's watching this i didn't but they saw it in the late 80s rates actually have to go above inflation inflation has to come down to target level, and then you start to drop and to see if it comes back up again. If it comes up, you hold or increase. So we haven't got, at the moment, rates above inflation. So there's argument to say rates should increase, but I feel that we'll probably see um, a stagnant rate probably for the balance of the 2024 year. I don't think we're going to get this reprieve in August. I will talking about late 2023 rates were going to come down. That got scrapped. Uh, They're talking about early 2024, now that's scrapped, Um, so we may see rates hold or slightly increase, but I think we're going to see like this until the end of next year, which is not necessarily a bad thing because it means that our economy is still trucking along. And as we've seen and as I've just spoke to you, that was the most amount of properties that my clients have ever purchased in one calendar year. And that's in an interest rate environment which suggested that the property market was should have should have crashed and people on the streets, no one paying their debt. And guess what? They're still doing it and finding a way. Interest rates. It's amazing, too. isn't
0: it? Like I, I see it all the time. Like the the Sydney boom and um like property prices are so varied. Like if you look at property prices of Victoria, they've been down, down, prices are down. Um, but if you look it's at down. all of Australia, we've started to kind of move up a little bit but it's really like it's because sydney's starting to pop off um starting to move move up it's dragged everywhere to make this entire australia look good but other markets have done incredibly well um so it's really not i hate when people like australia is just oh one big market the property market's doing x well it's not really these markets have done well and this larger these larger markets are really what drive the overall number but it doesn't mean that that place didn't do 20% because we've only you know risen 0.01 percent of um, of a you know, of a percentage point in growth yeah was well, because Sydney was down and Melbourne was down Um Tassie's struggling
2: though it looks like has st- yeah. struggling but there's an interesting story of Tasmania now for, for many years if you looked at the Tasmanian property market from mid 90s all the way through to 2015-16 it did not move. Like I mean, it was very flat. You could have bought a property in 95 for 200,000 and it was the same price in 2015. And then this wow. massive, massive change and shift happened in Tasmania from 2016 all the way through to pretty much mid 2021, early 2022. It went by more than 60, 70% in those three years. So if you look at Tasmania as a whole, wow, it's done really well, four, 5% each year, but it's only really come in a very small cluster. So, again, that's a market where people don't understand this, but Tasmania's population, there's more people living in the southwestern suburbs of Sydney than in Tasmania. Um, yeah. So that's a very interesting topic, a very interesting suburb statistic. Adelaide's very much similar. You know, South Australia's a very big state. But what feel people small, need to though Adelaide. Like it just well, feels Adelaide. Well, this is interesting statistic, Jeff. Nearly 2 million people live in 1.7, 1.8 million people live in South Australia, of which the population is really densely in Adelaide itself with about 1.3 million people. So uh, if you're sure. investing in South Australia, you've really you've got to make sure that you're in that pocket of Adelaide as opposed to the many thousands of square kilometres that are out there. Um, and the same goes for, for WA and many other places, very big states. You've got to make sure you find those niche pockets that, that can do quite well. Where Sydney yeah. is a big bowl. Sydney is a big bowl from the Blue Mountains all the way to the ocean. It's just one big, one big bowl. We're very restricted in terms of the geographical and topographical location.
0: Yeah, it's just a bowl of pressure, right? Like that you can't grow up. You can't. You can only go up. That that that's it. If you wanna, if you wanna make more property, well, we've got to cut up some of this land, and we need to make this land grow somehow. Um, higher density density so
1: before we go into more kind of macro sort of moves and all that sort of stuff, or even just um, less macro, more micro, I, I want to know because I'm sort of looking at the sort of three to four hundred k. Like if I've got a budget of three or four hundred k, we're not sort of giving people saying where people should buy. It. I mean, it's up to them. But used to you could have been able to board in in Perth a year or two ago. Now you probably can't so much do that if you want to buy a green title, as they call them over there. Or in, even in Townsville, like we're sort of starting to see, like that that really big regional centre is starting to struggle. To you can still buy properties for that sort of three hundred-ish mark, three hundred fifty-ish. Where's somebody now going to look? But that's sort of starting to become harder and harder. Like, where do people sort of start to, or should they just sort of increase their borrowing capacity and look at the five hundred to six hundred K mark? Like what, what does somebody at that sort of price bracket do?
2: So I In think, your- firstly, again, from an observation that I've seen, with the rise of Oz Property Group, sixty thousand people, well done. And then you've got some other really um, influential uh, Facebook groups that are out there with thousands yeah, of people. Group, out of yeah. Property and Forum, then you've yeah. got you've got significant <laughs> amount of buyers, agents into into the market. You've got a substantial amount of conferences. property's the flavour again. What we are seeing is that it's becoming very ingrained in people's investment strategy. Before you had to have money, you had to have a big deposit to invest in property. It was a very select few, but now lots of people are getting into it and being encouraged to do so at an early stage. So I actually believe that if you can find that two to $300,000 market and it's got all the right parameters for growth, I think that's actually going to do very well because people want to invest and that entry price point for many people is just booming. Um, That that middle price point, though, believe it or not, that 800 to 1.2 price point, it's actually in the doldrums at the moment. The very high-end price point aimed at premium investors and premium owner occupiers, it's going quite strong. The bottom market's going quite strong, but that middle middle area, it's in the doldrums. And that's the space that I'm trying to play in at the moment because, again, the competition's quite low. It's too low for the premium, too high for the basic. So it kind of leaves you know a little bit of fat there to be te- to be had, but yeah, Jeff, it's going to be why hard. To of...
0: Like, why, why, why do they? Why does that happen?
2: It's a tough one. I can only probably say from what I was like starting early on in the property journey, I wanted a number of properties, not so much a quality of properties. So it was really cool to talk about ten properties, but you didn't tell them they were all worth one hundred fifty grand. Um, <laughs> so. That changed. That changed change me. I got bidden a couple of times with buying some lesser end properties. But yeah, I think the price point, entry point, there's a bit of a market for that. Many people already have two or three or four properties and most likely tapped out, Joe. Um, that's probably the common theme that I'm seeing with many clients. A lot of them want to do stuff, but are generally tapped out. And so they're pivoting now. And that's where I believe these property sales that I'm talking about will increase because people will pivot into a different market into a different property into a different area
0: and where are they yeah where are they allocating that capital right you make you know 150 200 grand like I I had a I had a, a friend of ours um, actually a mortgage broker he's he bought a property um, he bought it for five hundred and eight thousand uh, 11 months later he sold it for six hundred fifty thousand he got an amazing amazing capital gain um actually don't know where he's putting that capital, but where are you seeing like these people put that extra money? Is it going, it's (laughs) Bitcoin, (laughs) maybe Bitcoin. bit late by the way, probably. Yeah. yeah. Where where are you seeing this allocation of capital? Because, you know, it's it's another problem. You you sell a property. You've now got another problem on your hands with all this, not a bad problem, a lot of money, but where are you going to put it?
2: Yeah, so the interesting topic that I'm having with clients is very similar to it. So what I'm seeing at the moment, clients who are selling, they're actually upgrading their PPOR. So they've had enough. We're upgrading our PPOR. We're going to now spend 1.5 mil. That's our price. We've lived in an 800 grand home. We now want something more premium. So that's probably where I've seen a lot more people, uh, do, what, what they're doing with their money. Um, I've seen a lot more people pivot into about, um, away from a balance sheet Property portfolio into a PL property portfolio. So move from growth assets to cash flow assets, um, irrespective of what they feel that the market or the property might do. They're after just that good, strong, genuine cash flow. Um, so it could is that, be. Does that look,
1: like, um, is that like commercial or is that sort of higher yielding or is that granny flats? Like what, what's. Yeah, like co- commercial
2: and blocks of units. Commercial and blocks of units. People are, are very much chasing a high net yield and they couldn't care less if the property grows or not. Can't care. Don't care. Jeremy, if it stays the same for 30 years, we don't care. We're after just the cash flow now. Um, Mm. I haven't really seen many people just sit on the sidelines. And for anyone listening, I haven't got many clients that are saying, oh, I'm going to hoard my cash and the property market's going to drop by 35%. I'm going to get into it. I'm actually not having any of those conversations. I don't think many of my clients are feeling that there's going to be a property market crash. If anything, um, they believe that the property market's still going to remain quite buoyant but there might be some opportunity with a lesser buyer pool at hand. And we know there's a lesser buyer pool because we're seeing auction clearance rates, I know here in New South Wales, hovering around the 50% for the last six to seven weeks with the number of auctions being, you know, three to 400. And I'm seeing more withdrawn every week. So the buyer pools are dropping. But what people also need to understand is that people aren't going to give away their properties. So this notion of I'm going to buy something three, 400 grand below what someone paid for it, very rare does that happen. Um, people will yeah. often try to fight and hold on to that for as long as they possibly can.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's my pride and joy. I want to hold on to this. I'm not, yes, I should sell it, but I'm I'm living here right now. I don't need to sell it. Um, or I, or even, yes, I, I could it, I could sell it and take a discount, Like, but I, I've only got
1: 200K debt on it and it's worth 800. Like I don't, I'm not feeling the pressure when I've got a, such a low
0: yeah. LVR. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the only reason I would sell is to upgrade. And I can't make money to do an upgrade, so I guess I'm just going to have to sit here and and wait.
2: That's it. Wait. So that's that's adding to the supp- the supply issues that we've currently got. Um, within, and
0: it's interesting because this is kind of going back to what I was talking about before um which ties in nicely between your two markets where the lower end isn't is is moving a lot um, and the upper end is moving a lot but it's that middle tier that you're kind of playing in where you're seeing a bit of opportunity um but that that's exactly what I'm seeing as well I'm seeing the lower end just go absolutely gangbusters 400 500 600,000 that everyday Aussie kind of bracket is absolutely slaughtered all over the country everywhere um it's so hard to buy an asset within that um and when you start getting into the 800s and a million easy peasy lemon squeezy buy a property it's it's it it's the negotiation is so much better um mm. is that it's just a lot more competition at the lower end um 200 to 300 is doesn't really really exist anymore. So I'd be very cautious for people to say, Hey, go out there and buy a $300,000 house. It's very, very hard. Um, I'd probably try and save it up and get a three hundred and fifty, four hundred thousand 400,000 before you. Yeah, you don't want to buy, you know, if we've gone through the largest boom in history, and this property hasn't grown from $300,000, it's probably might not be a good area to be buying in. Um, mm. No, Will not we? financial advice.
1: Yeah. even looking at one interesting, I just had a quick look at because Gladstone's often a boomer bust sort of market. And I just looked at that, and that's that's even sort of done 30-40 percent like in the last sort of couple of years. I'm just like, oh geez, it's getting even getting a bit expensive up that way. Not expensive, but is that because of like um, mater- minerals? Um, would you say because the mining's gone quite well, Jeremy? I don't yeah,
2: know how absolutely, much gone, but... absolutely. Okay. Gas gas is in Gladstone's huge LNG, big of... mining presence as well. But, you know, those, mining is very strong and it's still, there's still quite a bit of demand foreign. Uh, I know China's still got quite a bit of demand, but if you read the headlines, China's potentially slowing down, we won't know. But no doubt about it, mining for the win, um, it's got us out of a lot of trouble over the last couple of years and, and it's got the government out of a significant amount of trouble. The only reason the government was able to post a proposed surplus was because of the mining royalties. Um, so it, we want to we back mining for as long as we can. I know anybody out there very environmental conscious, but without it, you know, we're going to be struggling from a, glo- a national finance point of view. Um, so it, there's a lot of things to suggest that those regional centres, attra- you know, attached to those real mining uh, facilities or mining activities, there may be some strength there But I've seen Gladstone, I've seen the the boom and bust of it. I've seen Emerald, I've seen Port Augustus, I've seen Emeralds. I've seen all these over 16 years of investing and they are very very boom and bust. So if you can time your sale and you're good enough to do that, great, go for it. There's a lot of money to be made. Um, But you just got to be very careful that if you're in it, you've got to ride those waves.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was chatting with someone who um, had a friend that does – rides the boom and bust who is in mining understands mining it's his thing and he bought these properties based on the the development of of the the mining cycle and knew that new mines were going to open and these ones were going to close and then he would sell out of these and then buy into here and he just keeps jumping and shipping and i think you know it, it's the unfair advantage right if you've got that unfair advantage go ahead and do it it's just like like house and land packages right we we tear tear house and land packages to pieces because they don't have very much uh, value, right? You're paying a lot of money for something. But if you're that 1% that understands that area and understands the land, you can really make make value in anything. So I wouldn't, it's the same as like buying on a main road. Now I don't I don't buy on a main road, but if a property is $30,000 cheaper, um, buying on the main road, it's just going to remain $30,000 cheaper. So if you can get it $50,000 cheaper and you can buy it, aren't you up? Aren't you up with that? Not so recommending a, it, but there's, there's
2: always an opportunity. It's a great point. That is a great point. Um,
0: what are we onto Jeff? What, what, what's the next uh, topic that we have for this fine evening?
1: Well, I I kind of, I I get a a few kind of questions around, like we have sort of alluded to opportunities around sort of, you talked about Melbourne and and sort of land in Melbourne, but like where else can, like how do people identify these opportunities? Like how did you, like what's kind of, Mm -hmm. did you do a lot of reading? Like how do people identify that? Because I think that's something where people are wanting more knowledge on.
2: For me, we spoke about how I test the market and it's nothing to do with data. Nothing. I, I, I'm not a data nerd. It. It the it's there. I look at it, but I'm not playing a massive emphasis on it. My one is feel. Always about feel. I'm chatting with agents. How are you going? How many properties you sold? What's the market like? Um, you know, where are you seeing things? And they, they give you everything. Jeremy, it's slow. Or Jeremy, you know, at the moment it's crazy. We haven't got enough Properties for the buyers. So a lot of the agents, they're calling me back. They're having chats for 20 minutes. Normally it's, oh, look, mate, now it's under offer. I can't talk to you. We'll chat later on. This time it's a 20-minute conversation. They're spreading their, their life to me. They're talking about their cat, how their cat had a great weekend. That's because they're twiddling <laughs> their thumbs and they've got so much to do. Um, yeah. So uh, th- that's how I'm, I'm, I'm really testing the markets. I'm looking at some pockets, and there's pockets that I like because I've been there. I've researched it in the past. I've, I've spoken to people um, and then it becomes a feel. I don't want to be fighting 50 people for one property. That's where prices just drive up substantially. I want to be battling myself and the agent for the vendor's appreciation of my price. That's what I want to do. And that's the market that I'm finding, which has given me that, that opportunity. Um, and, I'm just, and again, then I'll look at a little bit of the data, Jeff. I'm looking at what it, what it sold for history rise. What's the market doing? And a lot of these, and these aren't areas which are, you know, 50, 60, 1,000 kilometres away from Melbourne CBD. I'm talking 15 to 30 kilometre radius around the centre of, of Melbourne. And for anyone who knows Melbourne, these pockets were all had sixes, or seven, eights and nines and millions on it in the COVID pandemic. And they're all 20 to 25%, not all, that's a generalisation, but some of these ones are 20 to 25% below. Um, so again, the reason my reason is Exodus. There was an Exodus out. There will be again equilibrium. There will be a a drive back in.
0: Like a
1: reversion so, and, to the mean. Are you focusing? Are you focusing mostly on the deal itself? I mean, well, plus the area, but are you're looking for a cracker deal in an area that you like the look of longer term. Is that what you're kind of playing? Yeah, is?
2: yeah, and and again, I understand how I'm going to generate my return. My return's not going to come from cash flow because it's not um yep. you know these things would be selling for six seven hundred i'd be lucky to get four hundred dollars a week rent for some of these things um so Easy. for me yeah. the, re- the return is being been able to manufacture you know go in there subdivide it build it build it subdivide even do a da and try to sell it to somebody else if there's a market for it but at the moment there's not a market for it if anything there's many people who have done the da's and now can't afford to build or go through the cost of holding Um, because interest rates and holding costs are quite high, which is killing some people's feasibility or even some people's ability to borrow. And that's where I can come in at that market and and make my level of return. Um, Yeah, so that's where I'm probably seeing me personally. WA, I'll leave that to the buyers agents. They're the ones who are getting the best deals deals there because quite frankly, um, after some conversations with some very close people I know, they're doing deals and then listing the property and then it goes under offer within about 10 minutes so thank you to the person he knows who he is who shared that with me um about this background of what's happening and and that you can't compete with that so i'm not even going to try to compete with that i'll let the buyers agents get their good returns for the clients yeah yeah take
1: take, i want to go back to 20 i remember we were sitting in off in your your old office i don't know what street it was on i think it was about 2015 Maybe 2016, like what? Because that's when you were sort of not. You were probably a little bit younger in your investing sort of journey. Like what? What would that sort of Jeremy have been looking to to do in this sort of market? I know it's hard to do, but yeah, what, fight what the
2: you, buyers agents in WA. You would fight the buyer's <laughs> agent in WA. I would have fought the buyer's agents in WA. I would have literally yeah. tried to go toe-to-toe with them and try to get properties off market and battle with them to try to win the deal. That's what I put would have done in 2015. Um, yep. I think having a little bit more wisdom um, and seeing things through multiple cycles now, I've kind of learnt to say, you know what, I won't fight it. I'll let them get the cherries. There's other cherries on another tree that I can find. Um, so that's probably me. Um, New South Wales, I I probably think there's a little bit of an opportunity back in New South Wales but not existing. I think the real value in New South Wales, yeah, if you're prepared to buy land in New South Wales and go through the fight with the builders and the battle with the builds, I think there's opportunity there as well. Um, That's probably my New South Wales top tip. Queensland, my personal opinion, whether people like it or not, is it's done a really good dash. Buyers agents and hundreds of other, hundreds of thousands of other people all bought there on the Queensland hype. I've seen the Queensland hype in the 2011 to 2013, and I saw it flatline and stagnate when the hype ended. I think it's starting to now slow down. Um, chatting with a couple of clients and agents that I have as friends there, um, they're not getting as much love from investors and buyers agents as they were. So there could be a little bit of a slowdown to occur, uh, which means that things are coming back to equilibrium. Not to say that prices are going to come backwards, but more so a little bit of equilibrium. So concept and moral of the story is will always find its balance over time, just sometimes yeah. it gets misconstrued. But at the moment, the herd is winning in WA, and if you can get in and follow it and you can follow it with a good price, you'll do very well, no doubt about it. Yeah.
1: Because, I'm just sort of I, I looked at, um, and sorry Joe, I'm sort of monopolizing this a little bit. But you look at, um, you look at 2020, 2021. A lot of the sort of hype and interest was in sort of South South Australia, sort of started to take fire flight then, and even sort of Brisbane as well. Like Brisbane got a lot of love, and even 2022 was still South Australia. 2023 has undoubtedly been Perth. Like everybody, everybody and their grandma and their grandma's sort of second uncle. I mean, I. Yeah, that's a funny way of putting it. I don't know. Everybody, Absolutely everybody's looking at WA. It's just so much focus over there. But where, where like, is there, like, I, I just don't see that sort of momentum carrying, well, WA for a start, but 2024 and beyond, I just don't know where there's that next sort of 20, 30, 40% market. I just think it, it's, we probably yeah. maybe had that, had those sort of really great sort of COVID sort of boom, but I just don't know if there's another state that'll that'll do, that has the capacity to do mm. that at the moment.
0: Yeah, Jeremy, what, you... what are you what are you seeing in terms of like the ripple effect, right? So the ripple effect is the city uh, the city market. So let's talk about Perth, right? Perth started to pop off in internally and then it started to broaden out. It started to go from um like Armadale is starting to pump up, right? That 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 market has done really well. Um and then you Rockingham. WA. Rockingham is done, yeah, Armadale in, in WA. Um Rockingham has done really, really well. Um, and now we're starting to see a lot of people go even further you know two hours south is is Bunbury Mandra. like what are your thoughts on okay well I can't afford in you know I can't afford the 500 600 that Rockingham's are asking for which is 45 minutes away from the city mm-hmm. do you just keep kind of battling do you just keep going further away and further away or is there a point where you say no no, no we just we have to wait or we'll move to a different market like what are your thoughts of those type of
2: investment decisions Uh, so for me my 2024 year is all about value investing not investing for the sake of investing it's all about value investing and if i'm going to start going further and further and further away from major capital cities well then i've got to start looking at other states and comparing apples with apples and start looking at well what is two hours three hours south of sydney get me well some of these prices are getting you very similar to places like nowra um, you know, now are in, in the south coast of New South Wales or you start getting into northern parts of the Hunter region and slightly even further west of the Hunter region, which I would say in comparison is slightly better than some of those areas on a same price, price dollar for dollar basis. So value investing is key. I don't think we just start going further and further and further away for price point because when yeah. does it stop? Um, and for me, 2024 is... The opportunity and the X factor, the, the clients with very you know, strong portfolios, the sophisticated investors, what they're doing, quite openly, gentlemen, is they've bought their properties where they've got that X factor attached to it. They believe that it might be a little bit of a flat 2024 in terms of a property market, despite what the headlines are. Six to eight weeks ago, it was a boom 2024. And then I heard Westpac and a couple others came out saying there's going to be decline now in 2024. So you can't oh, really? really follow You can't really follow the banks because they've they've stuffed it the whole time. So the sophisticated sophisticated clients I've got are saying, we're going to buy properties where we can manufacture value in 2024. We can put granny flats on them. We can do cosmetic renovations. We can do small renos. We can do landscaping. We can add additional rooms. So that's going to keep the property market moving and these clients making money. They're not relying on capital growth buying in the right area for the right price, but they're buying at market value properties today and they're saying we can generate this over the next 12 months by doing X, Y, Z. So that to me is essentially what I'm doing with my purchases. I'm looking to generate my level of return now not through rent or cash flow because interest rates are quite high, but through value investing.
0: Yeah, value investing, that's a great way to put it.
1: Let's bring this. Um, This is potentially a spicy, maybe not spicy, Ooh. maybe a little bit
0: 2025 to 2026, all these 700,000s of immigrants will be looking for homes to buy after uh, after being here post-COVID. The boom will be across the country. Um, that also is supposed was- to
1: coincide with that 18-year property cycle in 2025, 2026 being the blow-off top. So... I don't know, Joe, I know that Joe and Jeremy chatted about that and uh, I sort of, mm. so how does that sort of all play out? Like a book right there, here. I'm no, trying okay, to get a cue the
0: message on LinkedIn. This is the most, this is the most well, dog-eared book that I have. Um, yeah, well, first,
2: first, and, first and foremost, we know now that the number of migrants to come into the country post next year is going to be less per capita per year. Um, so we're not going to have this huge three, four hundred thousand that we've had. Um, yes, these 700,000 migrants that are currently here, uh, to answer this Facebook user's question, they're already living in a home, um, in a rental property already. So um, the people that will come in will may find it a little bit difficult. But what the government's doing to incentivize permanent residency and other classes of visas is that they've got to move quite regional. So if all 700,000 people were to reside in the southwestern suburbs of Sydney or in, uh, in Cronulla, in God's country, as they say, then, yeah, Cronulla's going to go oh, bonkers. Cronulla going to go bonkers, right? There's not enough houses to house 700,000 people. But if that's quite widespread, very widespread across, you know, Australia, you're not going to, That's not going to make a massive, massive difference. It's the longevity of 600,000 that are coming every year, year on year. Well, that's 6 Which million over 10 years. It. That's making a massive, a massive impact on the property market. So Labor governments has definitely bowed down and they've, They've reversed their migration policy as a result of the housing crisis we've got.
0: Well, what was the, what what did they promise that they were going to build? Was it one and a half million properties? 1.2. Was it 1.2? And they've never hit that. They've never hit that number whatsoever. The closest they got was, I think, in 2018, where they built Uh, 1.01 or something like that. Uh, so well, one. that was
1: over a five-year period. So they'd have to build 250K or something, 1.25 million. So they'd have to build 250 per year to get there. And I think the most that's ever been built was like 200 or 220. Is that, mm. Does that sound familiar, Jeremy?
2: Yeah, and that comes in from the Future like Fund that. that Costello and Howard created. But um, the only way we're going to get there is is through high-density high density housing like units. The problem is is that we're plagued by terrible unit builders. People have lost faith. Um, so we're not getting the private market buying truckloads of units like they were many years ago because of all these terrible stories. So things will have to change. And in the end, it's the private market. It's you and I. It's the investors listening here tonight. We're the ones which will be able to alleviate the property market problems or exacerbate it even further if we're, if we're not turning over property. So we need a buoyant property market to house people and to ease, believe it or not, housing crises um so it goes against what we all hear we need property market to do well to ease the housing crisis
0: well right now rents are going absolutely bananas that's where these that's where these immigrant where these new immigrants are going um they are going into these rental properties that's why we're seeing this massive increase in in rental prices across australia vacancy rates are sub 1 or 1.1 um but they'll eventually shift like these people aren't coming here with no money um but also, I think if we keep building, if we get to that number, um, there will be a period in, it might even tie in nicely with your 18.6 years um, there, Jeff, where there's a massive oversupply of houses because we went too crazy. Um, It's very interesting that the government, I thought that it's very interesting that the government like decided, you know, you know what? slow down the immigration tap um and well they had they to because otherwise
1: it's gonna it would go too crazy like you'd just have like yeah it just yeah but um interestingly I, I don't know if you guys have opinions on this but we'll we'll tackle it anyway since we're talking about what 2024 is going to look like i don't know Cairns all that well i have visit i did visit there once as a five or six year old i held a crocodile with a, with a tape across its mouth so that's about <laughs> my knowledge and extent of Cairns. um so give me i don't have too much an opinion on cans but you've been up there joe i think and jeremy i don't know if you've seen much about yeah so what do you guys do you have any thoughts on cans people
0: well right now it's pretty like someone said it in the comments it's pretty windy right now um was oh. it jasper i think there's cyclone jasper
2: Cyclones, yeah. okay, yeah, cyclone. All right.
0: it's up there the big i mean from an investment perspective like cans itself um is getting a lot of money thrown at it um so there's a lot of like Road upgrades, the Kansas University is getting pumped, um, like, what, $165 million. Um, big infrastructure projects are going in. It's very affordable. It's a nice lifestyle. Um, but the downside, some of the downsides are um, insurance. There's a, yeah, there's a big a insurance lot. cost um, and council rates as well. Um, So there is a large council rates that comes in, but also council rates are factored into the water rates for Townsville and I believe Cairns as well. So it's also like you see a big number and you're like, well, but you don't have to pay the water rates. Um, But um, I would just have a look at some of the, like Townsville, for instance, flooded in 2019. Um, But it was interesting to see what the property market did over that time. So this whole Jasper thing, not very good right now. Um, Not ideal that there's a cyclone that's going to rip a whole bunch of roofs off. But um that's why you have to pay two thousand dollars in insurance, three thousand mm. in dollars insurance. Um so for me it's a very affordable market. I'm seeing a lot of like what you're saying, Jeremy, that that lower end of property investor who has two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars putting money into into these markets because one, they see a six percent yield and they're like OMG and two, they're like, I want to invest. Where can I invest? I have no choice but to invest. Um mm. I feel like I took over your question, Jeremy. What are your thoughts on Cairns? Yeah,
2: look, I actually think Cairns will do all right. The domestic travel market at the moment there is quite strong, um, and that's because we all want to travel, and Cairns is an affordable place for us to still get away. Uh, If the domestic travel market does soften, that is an area which typically has done very poor. Um, So if you look at Cairns, if you get a chance to, anyone gets a chance to look at Cairns from 1975 through to now, you'll see that it went a huge spike in the, uh, in the 80s. Everyone was buying properties in Cairns. That was the go-to place. It just went bonkers. One of the most expensive places in Australia at the time. And then in the 90s, it really flattened off. And 2000s, it had a bit of a blip, and then it flattened off and went down again. And we're starting to see a big spike. So that is a very wavy, wavy property market there. Um, domestic travel up, Cairns great. Domestic travel down. Cairn's economy is going to really suffer locally.
0: Yeah. I actually have
2: a just, friend it who- um, It
1: doesn't look all that affordable either. Like it, you, you kind of think that you could buy it. I mean, I suppose relatively it might be, but just look, I just had a quick look at some of the suburbs and there's sort of still that sort of for a house, you're looking at 450. And just and, and some are up to sort of 550, 600 median and medians are imperfect. So, but I just but think- you, But wow, you say that's, that, that's like cool.
0: I, I, have a, I have a friend and I think I mentioned this last week of the week before. Moved up there. The, uh, yeah, $200, 220000 dollars, high and like high tech prop tech startup company, and uh, he's like, screw it, I'm done. I'm I'm moving out of Sydney and um, I'm I'm going to do my job up in Townsville. He bought a 450000 dollars house with a pool that overlooks this amazing view, and he's like, yeah, this is this is life now, um, because it's beautiful. Um, so the lifestyle is definitely a big driver, but and affordability. Uh, but uh. I don't know if I would, I don't know if I could live up there. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe not. <laughs> you never know. Okay. Well, let's jump into um, one of our final ad for this evening. And then we'll jump to some of the questions that we've got um, and some of the uh, predictions. Something else, Jeff? There's nothing worse than going into a situation unprepared, especially when that situation is purchasing one of the most expensive assets of your life against a trained property expert in the form of a real estate agent. It's a scary thought but it is a skill that can be taught. Do you wanna learn how to become fully prepared when buying a property so you can get out there, buy your dream home or investment property without the fear of actually messing it up? Scott Agat, the founder and expert property negotiator at Hello House has been helping people buy their properties by stepping in and negotiating with the agents and saving his clients tens of thousands, and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Scott has now decided to share all that he's learned over the past 28 years in real estate so you can go out there and do the exact same thing on how to find a property, analyze that property, negotiate on that property, and transact on it to get the best results. He's created the Get Buyer Ready course, which is a step-by-step guide on how you too can become an expert property negotiator. It's the easy way of how you can avoid all of these agent games and get the best purchase price on that dream home or your investment property. The course is in short bites for busy people with no fluff at all. Just all the information you need to get buyer ready and secure that next property with confidence at the best price. Scott has been kind enough to give our community a massive discount with the link below. Sign up today before you even think about putting an offer on that next property and it will be one of the best decisions you ever make
1: the best decision. So we are back
0: we are back
1: the, the, the reason the, i sort the, of chuckle, chuckled a bit a little bit when i was when you said predictions because i i feel we've had a lot of predictions so i mean you, you can you can if jeremy's got more i'm sure he's got more predictions in his bag but we'll, we'll throw to what i what i want to hear and and throw your questions in people it can be about accounting because jeremy literally deals with sort of thousands of, of, or his company does, deals with thousands of, or oh, his company that he helps run, deals with thousands of investors per year, and, and they are sort of property and, and sort of doing that tax as well. So so drop those questions if you want some intel on that. But Jeremy, what I want to hear, though, is I want to hear beyond 2024. What what are the most, um, what are the people that have been in the game? What sort of things should they be sort of, if people want to become and emulate, start to look at these people, What what are the, what should they be doing?
2: So the biggest thing that I'm seeing the very, very wealthy people do at the moment is the protection of the borrowing and pivots. So a lot of people now, and again, sophisticated clients are pivoting out of properties where they feel that, again, their return has been generated from a capital point of view. And they're focusing and having a little bit more emphasis on cash flow. So a lot of people's property portfolios are evolving. Um, The biggest thing that I explain to people all the time is that sometimes it's not a bad thing to sell a property because you collected money that someone else has paid you. If you go buy a Ferrari or you go on a very expensive $200,000 holiday, well, you've kind of whittled all that hard work away. But if you pivot that into a much better performing property, again, a property where there's value investing attached to it, that's where you're gonna see the higher dividends. So I think people need to be a little bit more creative now if you wanna get the level of gains that you've seen over the last couple of years. I don't think, and again, very important that we understand economics. We had over 600 billion pumped into the economy, job keeper, job saver. We had no one lose their jobs while working or living at home doing nothing for weeks on end, getting their $1,500 a fortnight. We had ultra low interest rates and a significant amount of bonds being issued into the market. We had a perfect storm for asset increases. Significant amount of capital, lighter um and and more lenient lending market environment and a substantial amount of profit all being made hence the reason why now we've got substantial inflation so if you want to start continuing to get those gains you've got to be very creative with your portfolio and the wealthy people that i deal with are pivoting and they're moving out of potentially capital assets and moving into a little bit more cash flow assets so that's one thing that i'm seeing i'm seeing a lot more people add income generating um, dwellings onto their property like granny flats, or if they've got an opportunity to subdivide, this is the time that they're doing it. They're subdividing and building because that's where they're manufacturing their level of equity. And the last thing I'm seeing people are doing is borrowing Borrowing preservation. They've been very strategic with their borrowing. I'm seeing so many more people becoming much more, uh, the best word is intelligent with their finances as opposed to this endless amount of money that they're getting given. Um, and the buffers, I'm seeing a little bit more people build up a bit more buffers because they know and prepare to ride out this little bit higher interest rate environment for potentially now a little bit longer. You know, this instant rise of rates and this instant come down of rates, we all thought it was going to happen fairly quickly. It hasn't. It doesn't look like it will. Um, and that's where your buffers will get you through to the next cycle. So we've all got to remember, we've probably, we're probably now into a new cycle. Uh, we've just finished a really crazy one. The new cycle now might not be 30% gains. It might be smaller ones, but if you can hold or stay in it or increase the value ready for the next property boom, that's when you're laughing.
0: So when you say buffers, what what are you kind of seeing some of your more smarter investors or maybe, and not necessarily like the super well-off, because I imagine the super well-off are just like, yeah, I just put a million dollars here. But like what is a good buffer general good buffer to have for a property or what you typically see
2: yeah so two two to three months of the property's costs without any rental income that you're earning so picture the property's not rented for three months you want to have two to three months worth of the property's costs interest insurance rates um, and that's going to see you through because properties are aging you might have a cyclone that goes through or other things like that you need to make sure that you've got sufficient amount of capital to pay for these costs. I am seeing clients who are struggling, who can't put new hot water systems into their property. They can't afford it. Um, wow. You know, I've, I've seen lots of arrears. There is definitely arrears been building up in the market. Again, this goes back to having high rents and charging your tenant a substantially high amount of rent sounds really good on paper, but if they can't afford it and the market in that area can't afford it, there's no point charging $600 where the market can only afford 450. Um, so many agents will tell you that arrears are starting to build. And how much is that? So how much does
0: that work out to be? What five grand or ten grand per property? Like
2: yeah, it depends on your on your property's value and how much loan you've got. But I think a very careful buffer is yeah anywhere between that five to twelve and a half, thirteen grand. I think that's pretty more than enough. Absolutely more than enough
0: what one of the things that i'm seeing and i you know uh, i can only tell you what i'm seeing um one of the things that i'm actually doing as well is um going through the portfolio and refinancing it out um and then pulling the equity out that i've gained and sitting it in my offset am i going to do anything with this capital not just yet but it's it's dry powder um when there's an opportunity or it's just it's equity that i can pull out and put into my account and when i need it i can use it um rather than not being able to pull it out when I need it. Um, so you just got to be, be be wary of the banks constantly shifting and changing their ideas. So if you can pull equity out, put it to a side, you know, do that. Uh, I've got a lot of, it's amazing how many people that I speak with, they're, they're like, cool, Joe, yeah, we want to, we've got this amazing strategy, this amazing plan. And then three months later, oh, we have a kid. Oh, we've broken up. Oh, you know, this life thing happens. um, mm. And all of a sudden it's, it's uh, you, you, I've got a new job. Great, you've got three to six months without being able to borrow a property now. Um, so you can you can borrow almost straight away, Joe. Potentially,
1: mm. there is a there is a big, really big bank that uh, that will, can, may consider it. But sorry, yeah, you, uh, potentially, potentially you're right.
2: Sorry. I'll share with you a couple. I've had it's quite funny we're we're talking today because in the last week I've had four people with very similar scenarios now. No one's gonna shed a tear when I talk about these com- these particular examples, but I've had four clients very much, very much similar um condition, all very asset rich. Their own home is worth six, seven, eight million dollars. Boo hoo. I agree, right? Oh, bad position to be in. Yep. Their yep. debt oh. on their own home is about one and a half to two, two and a half million. Goodness. So again, higher debt and Doing very bad. manageable interest rates were two percent. Their rates are all now six and a half and they're struggling. They're really, genuinely, I mean, living in an $8 million home and can't afford to put food on the table, have no buffer. They're praying Mm -hmm. for an electricity bill to come in much cheaper than they thought. And they're holding on to these properties. And they're having a chat with me saying, Jeremy, what do I do? Guys, if you can't hold on to the damn thing and you've got $6 million worth of equity, sell the damn thing. It's capital gain tax-free. Go buy a house you can afford, no debt. Have some money that you've got now to invest into the market and Hmm. they think it's better than sliced bread the advice they just got Um, but it goes to show that even when you've got a substantially high asset value you can be capped out from a borrowing point of view and having that powder that's dry is going to give them an opportunity now they will substantially build far more wealth doing it that way by downsizing their home releasing the capital and then going out and investing in various different assets Um, So that you just got to be savvy now with what you think, and hence the reason why I said earlier, I do feel that there'll be a shift on selling and people taking profits and maybe downsizing or pushing that money into other areas. So it's it's just um, not.
1: uh, I was going to say, it's it's just not worth it as well. Like, what's what's the if you're sort of worried about how you're going to pay the next bill or how you're going to pay the the. 20, 30, forty forty thousand dollar private school fee next next year. Like, I don't know. I just think, well, what's what's the point of it all? Like, wh- why why do we need to sort of go for all that if you've got if you've got the solution? And I suppose it's sort of saying that common sense is and all that yeah. common. But go on, sorry, Joe. Yeah, but
0: when you when you live in an eight million dollar house, can you go back to a two million dollar house? Like, I I why flew flip first class, and I really don't want to fly economy anymore. Um, not that I'm not then. then otherwise,
1: yeah, but if you don't, what's the point though? If you're lying awake, you get old and die at 45, then I don't know
0: exactly. Just enjoy Enjoy. it, spend it all. Um, there's someone that's 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 pointed me out and said, Joe, are you saying pull out as much equity as possible and just keep it in the offset ready to go? I'm not saying anything. Um, that's what i'm doing it's not the financial advisor but uh yeah i'm doing that because um not financial advice i think this little thing pops up um yeah it's it's just it's just it just allows me nothing changes for me i pull the money out i put it into my bank account and it's still offset against my loan and it allows me to have you know 200 grand just sat there doing nothing um and if something happens and i need to use it there's a great opportunity a great investment great i can go for that or my 8 million dollar house is really struggling i can actually just eat into the debt because i know that eventually it'll it'll turn good i don't know um i've got it there just as a bit of a buffer and a bit of a security yeah. just in case great great hey, Jeremy. To ask this question
1: I really want to um, because I think I think a lot of people will, will love the, and resonate with this sort of question. So Greg says, "Hi Jeremy, very green investing. Fifteen-year plan is to accumulate properties to create passive income. Isn't that hopefully? hope that's everybody's goal. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it's not to uh, not create passive income. Should I aim to do that under under a company and purchase their trust? What would a blueprint for me to set up now instead of scrambling after a couple of properties? Geez, this is a big question.
2: All right." Um- I'm going to bust a couple myths because there's so much topics and conversation going around trusts and borrowing capacity and when to go into a trust and all these other things. Now, I spoke about this quite publicly well over a year and a half, two years ago when it was relatively new and learning a lot more about it. Now, I've always made a very strict comment. The first one or two or sometimes even three properties, I like to buy that in individual names. Circumstances will change that, very rare. Now, the reason for that is we wanna keep the costs low. Trusts are not not cheap to establish. They're not cheap to run. They are more complex, no doubt about it. And generally the reason why I like to say the first one, two, or even three properties individually is I want you guys, I want everybody to have a very simple and a very low cost investing experience to initially start off. Land tax comes into consideration, Higher interest rates at present, This negative gearing is going to assist in some circumstances depending on the way people are buying. Now, depending on the property you're buying, and there are exceptions to the rule, if you can get a property that's inside a trust that's able to meet its own commitments without any further capital required by the individual beneficiary or director of the trustee, and it's able to stand on its own two feet, no assistance, then yeah, you do get to negate that debt as long as you purchase in a subsequent entity. I've had that speech about 500 times. But the reality is, is that if you're going into a trust sometimes too early when your income's fifty grand and you're two years out of uni, I can definitely put my hand up to say for 99% of people, your income only grows. And with your income only growing, you're making decisions today and entering yourself into a sophisticated structure before you've even reached maturity in your employment or in your own business. So keep things simple to start with. That little bit of negative gearing that you may have depending on the leverage and the rent and the interest rate of that particular property, sometimes it's what's going to help you get through to the next property or even to hold that property long term. The first couple of properties I purchased, not five, but two, the first couple of properties I purchased, I bought them in my own name. My interest rate was with ING Bank and it was nearly 8%.
1: It's amazing Ooh. you actually got a loan with ING. I didn't think they approved loans. I thought they just like, what do they do? Like, how do they?
2: Yeah, do they? back back in the late two thousands, they approved loans. That's it. But I, I, my interest rate was at nearly eight percent, without that level of negative gearing at that time. And mind you, tax rates were were much higher than what they are today. I wouldn't have been able to even move out of home. I wouldn't have been able to save any money. So I kept things simple. As my income grew, as I moved from a graduate uh, accountant to you know, uh, associate, and then moved into other things, senior accountants and managers. That's when my income grew and my borrowing capacity started to open up, and I was able to become a little bit more sophisticated with my structures. And I'm happy I did that. So, to answer this um, this uh, person's question, start with the first one or two in your own name. It rare exceptions as to why you'd go into a trust, and then without it, without a doubt, a trust should form part of your portfolio, but the right property needs to be matched with the business strategy of the property then needs to be matched with the structure. There's no point buying a property that you may move into into a trust because the CGT exemption that you lose is far greater than the small amount of borrowing capacity or benefit you might achieve in the future. So really need to make sure that you've got those three things aligned. Purpose of the property, business strategy of the property and the structure needs to come together to make the right decision. Yeah because somebody, get very somebody heated. sort of said get very heated uh, about
0: no, I it, that topic. I think I think people just need to re- rewind that and and go back and re-listen to that because there's so much value in what you just said there um talking about structure and trust because it, it is very confusing and everyone gets so excited about I I'm getting a trust I got a trust and um sometimes you don't need it but other times so a bloody lootly yes it can definitely help you um take yeah. that next step but
1: well, because because yeah, th- somebody sort of was was saying, oh, it can be costly to go from a it can stop. Yeah, I, you probably got a message about that as well. I saw that. I was <laughs> Thanks, like, oh. Jeremy.
0: I'm going to listen to it another fifteen times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm going to I'm going to rewind it as well.
1: Somebody, um, you, there you, was may a know, you may know a little bit about this because um, somebody asked about NDIS and HMO. Like I, I wasn't going to ask you. I just I don't think it's I think it's too specific. As in, not, I don't know if enough people are going to be looking at that, but. What, what are your thoughts on NDIS and HM, HMO? Are there opportunities there or is it just too challenging?
2: There are. There definitely are. But I've seen all this before. I've seen National Rentable Affordable Ability Scheme and NRIS come in. It was the hype when it first started. Oh, nice. I've yeah. seen Defence Housing. It was the hype when it first started. Um, and this is the same as NDIS and, and HMO and, and all these other things. I believe anything that's tied to a government incentive, anything that's tied to a government Um, surplus of funds that they're providing, you've got to be very careful because different governments come in and they change policy very quickly. Do I think NDIS is going to stop overnight? Absolutely not. What's in the news at the moment that Bill Shorten's going through is a huge NDIS review because there's a huge amount of rorting going on in NDIS, so they're going to be heavily reviewing it. They're going to be heavily monitoring it because it's a cost to the taxpayer, which has now exceeded the cost of what Medicare is, and it's done it in about a tenth of the time. Mm -hmm. So if NDIS keeps tracking the same way, NDIS is going to overtake the defense budget, it's going to overtake the Medicare budget, it's going to overtake the infrastructure budget, we might as well be working for NDIS. That's it. That's where our tax dollars will go. So be very careful when you're pinning your hopes onto one specific government stimulus package you've got to make sure that when you're investing you've got to understand how you're generating your return and the longevity of that return
0: that's important so what what's going wrong with ndis like why is it going so crazy and expensive it's just excess yeah,
2: under, yeah underestimated the amount of people that would be on it there's obviously fraud because it's a substantial amount of government in, uh, initiative incentive and stimulus being poured to it and it's hard to monitor it's yeah. very hard to monitor. Mm-hmm. So many people it's on it. How
1: do, you, how do you monitor it? Do you get? Do you pay people to monitor the people who are supposed to be monitoring it? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. and, just, <laughs> and look, have, I look think
2: like NDIS. Yeah, I'm a massive supporter of NDIS. I think it's a fantastic initiative for the people that need yeah. it. But there is price gouging going on. As soon, like a wedding. Anyone who's got married, you'll know all the wives out there. Put your hands up. As soon as you say <laughs> you're getting married, the price goes up another one or two zeros, and that's it's the same. That's the same as NDIS. There's another zero being added on in some circumstances. Why? Because the government's paying for it, which was really us as the Australian taxpayer.
0: Yeah. Um. There's a question here. Um. He's a. I'm a rookie here, and I'm still processing capital gains impacts related to related to trusts. Oh, sorry, um. Do you want? Yeah. Pop that one. Pop. Well, God. Yeah. So, can you get high high level? What what does that mean, uh, capital gains? What are the capital gains impacts relating to trust? No personal advice and all that stuff, but yeah, like, so how do we think about trust and CGT?
2: I think a trust from a tax point of view is the best entity, one of the best entities. Not not better than super funds, because super funds have a 10% tax rate if being held for longer than 12 months, But but for trust, one of the best structures to minimize tax. If you're distributing to an individual, the individual gets the 50% discount on the distribution that they received, which is essentially where people say trust get a 50% discount if you're, dig- you're distributing to an individual. If you're distributing to a company, there's no 50% discount. So that's one point to remember. But the ability to be able to distribute profit to the beneficiary with inside the deeds that has a lower or significantly lower marginal tax rate than you, Wow. I've used it for my clients so many times. We've yeah, sold property.
1: About
2: it. Oh, I love it because the we're talking not thousands. We're talking tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands. And I can probably say I've saved millions of dollars in tax legally by using the right structure. And that's, again, a great example. Sold a property. uh, The the wife went off work for maternity leave. They had no real ambition, uh, ambition for her to go back very soon. We saw an opportunity to sell the particular property. She had some capital losses from some share investing that she thought she would do many years ago, which didn't turn out well. Sold the property, distributed the capital gain to her, was able to absorb her capital losses and was able to take advantage of her very low marginal tax rate income. We save the client if they bought it in their own name, 40, 50 grand in tax. So the trust gives you a substantial opportunity to be able to pick and choose the right beneficiary strategically at the right time. And that's what investing in your own name doesn't allow because it just, it just holistically pins it to you, sorry, which means that that's it. You sell, you're in that structure, you can't do anything else, which is your name. So that's a little bit about how the CJT Impact works and where you can flow it.
1: People are getting so, really excited about trust, don't they, Joe? You just see the questions start flowing through
0: when we talk, when
1: we yeah, talk I love about it. trust. I, love
0: tr- I mean, it, it is pretty It is pretty crazy that these structures actually exist. Like, why, why do they exist? Tax minimization. Because the,
2: polit- the politicians have them, Joe.
0: And property. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I want. I want to know. Well, there's one question that I think is going to be interesting. There's another, or that's my own question that I think could be valuable for people. And there's another one more, and then we'll finish off. So, Um, what what do you um, what do you sort of think about combining? Like, how well? Well, how do you collaborate with with brokers and maybe not so much conveyances, but or sort of, but probably your broker. Like, how often are you talking to clients, brokers to make sure that everything's aligned? And how what does that look like when it works well?
2: All the time. So. I've I got a, a frustration with the mortgage broker industry. I've got a, a pain point. Anybody who treats their broker as a transaction-based professional, similar to that as a conveyancer, how many times do you pick up your conveyancer and chat with them throughout the year? Hundreds. No, you're a buyer's <laughs> agent. It's not different. You just, you just, <laughs> you just bought a, you've just bought a property. And Never. how many times did you as an investor do you pick up the phone and have a chat with your conveyancer? Never. Not all that's, that often, a no. that's a transaction. That's a transaction-based professional. Your mortgage broker is a journey-based professional. Your accountant is a journey-based professional. If you've got an in-house solicitor for, for your business, it's a journey-based professional. Any broker out there that is treating their client as a transaction, change your change the what change the way you're doing business because you won't survive a very long time. Any investor out there that is treating their mortgage broker as a transaction. Change the way that you treat your mortgage broker. Be on a journey with them, share with them your goals. You should be touching base. Get a feel of what's happening in the market from a finance perspective. My, I speak to my brokers and and bank managers all the time. I wanna know what rates are out there, what policies are changing, who's taking construction loans, who's not taking construction loans, who's at the moment changing policy, who's changing buffers, what's Westpac doing, what's CBA doing. And one of the key things to my success in property investing is not being a guru on the property market. It's knowing how to finance the deal. And that's been my strength. People ask me all the time, how would you get to 30-plus properties? I knew how to get the finance to say yes. I knew what structures to get into. I knew the type of covenants, what properties were needed to help me get there. I knew when to sell. And, And for me, selling you know, almost over 12 properties in the 2000, late 21 and 2022 period gave me a great opportunity that I'm in now because I lowered some of my debt in my trust to negate it. And then now I'm in a really good position from a borrowing point of view to go really, to go bonkers. Um, So that's because I knew finance and you had to set myself up to move forward. So speak to your broker like a journeyman, not like a transaction. Brokers, Treat your clients and go on the journey with them. Don't treat them like a transaction.
0: Yeah, and and it's so easy to do that. Like my first mortgage broker, I walked into, I forgot what it was, like a Rams yeah. or something like that. And, and the guy was like, cool, I'll get you a loan. That's absolutely fine. I'll just go get you the thing. And I know about investing. I'm like, great, where are you investing? And he gave me these absolute rubbish locations looking back. And I just felt like, and he's like, great, I'll get you the best rate. You know, it's absolutely not about the best rate. Um, It is about the right structure for for you. Like he's like, I'm like, Dude, do I need an offset account? He's like, no, no, no. We want the best rate. The best rate doesn't give you an offset account. So you don't need that. And that offset account saved me tens of thousands of dollars, whereas that rate would have cost me multiple thousands of dollars. Yeah. So it's it's uh, make sure that you just speak to someone that's investment savvy as well.
2: I think the main thing yeah. is as your broker is getting new property number one or two, get them thinking about yeah. property three or four. That's that's the level of 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 professionalism and now that you need from your finance professional. And and and
1: what sort of questions do you typically sort of get? Is it is it well, how do I get to three and four from here? Like what steps do I need to be making, or is it other
2: a good broker should be encouraging you to chat with your accountant about, hey, we're we're tapping out here. We need to talk about structure. You know, have you opened doors, you've got three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in super? you know, based on your super contributions, this is what potentially you can look at doing. It's not advice that they're providing, but they're opening the door for conversation with other professionals. Um, You know, guys, if we do go down this path, this is what we need to be doing. Brokers, you know, they don't want to, you don't need to do a top-up of 20, 30 grand. I understand as a mortgage broker, it's a lot of work that they don't get paid for. I understand that. But it's the journey you need to take with your clients to get them property three, four, and five. Um, So... The, they're the things you want to be asking your broker. They're the things you should be getting, you know, leads in conversation that your broker should be initiating. Um, so financing is one of the most important.
0: Initiate that conversation as well. Like that, what I was just saying about refinancing and and changing my loans, um, my broker reached out to me. He's like, hey, Joe, you you thought about your loans? I'm like, no, I've just been too busy with work. I haven't um, thought too much about it. He's like, but you're paying a ridiculous rate here and a ridiculous rate here and you've got you know, $200,000 worth of equity. I was like, yeah, I should probably do something about that. He's like, yeah, you should. How about you just put it in an offset account? And I was like, yeah, of course. Well, I, tell, I tell people to do that every day, but I'm not doing it. I'm like the yeah, electrician with a broken faulty wire.
2: <laughs> See, and your broker wouldn't have got paid an upfront for that 200000 that you've extracted and put into the offset. Nothing. So they've done it out I've of the love of their own heart. But what, yeah. that's, has, what that has given the broker and you is an opportunity to go into your next deal
0: yeah exactly yeah, Now we've got the, the powder hope. dry to go again and and I that's the I'll great thing a about broker.
2: yeah you do yeah. yeah
0: everyone is everyone just you know pick up the call it's like christmas yeah it's like christmas take the time to call 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 those people you haven't called you know call say say merry christmas call your broker and say hey it's about time we have a chat hope you've been well give me some finance because i need to buy another property <laughs>
1: Let's um oh, okay. I reckon let's finish up on this question. I and and I, I, I know there's somebody asked about HMO. I just I don't I don't know uh-huh. if you're you, you're great same thing. But I think I this one's know, a great no. one to sort of finish off. Um I think I know the answer to some of this, but this is from Ben and I think it'll help hopefully a lot of people. But he he asks, how did you know what to do when you're buying your, your first buying your first property? Did you have mm-hmm. a mentor or guide, etc.? I know your dad heavily influenced you. I think dad,
2: yeah, dad and my business partner as well. Um, was very big in property at that stage, but I have to say, when again, I don't want—I'm not old. I'm not fifty-five years old, and I was looking at the back of the paper
1: like,
2: uh, I, don't know, I think we're the same age. But I'm—I'm I'm not. I wasn't a newspaper investor that looked at the newspaper to find the property deals, right? I'm not that old, but I didn't have Facebook groups like you guys. There wasn't as many seminars around. There was two buyers agents at that stage. Um, back in in the mid-2000s. There was nowhere near the level of content that we see today. So people saying that they they don't have a mentor or a guide. Un- unfortunately, Mr. Facebook user, it's Poliwash. And I say that, why? Because there's so much content out there now on YouTube, on Facebook and all these other things, um, but seminars and buyers, agents and all this giving free information. You don't necessarily need a mentor or a guide. You just need to... You need to spend your time, you know, listening to things like this, Um, attend as many different seminars. Jeff, you and I, we attended many seminars together, traveling all over New South Wales to do it as as young men, and that's how we learned as well. So to me, I look at Jeff as my mentor, as I did with my father and my business partner, Manzuru. Why? Because we were together listening to the same content and we asked lots of questions to each other. So anyone that's out there, you don't need someone who's dangling that carrot in front of you, giving you all the answers. There's so much content. Learn, listen, and, and pull the trigger. What did I do when I first bought my property? I, I found somewhere close that I knew, um, and I pulled like the trigger Hamilton, on it. Campbelltown? Like Campbelltown. It was not below market value. If anything, I probably overpaid for it but I wanted to buy a property that was safe, sound and wasn't going to give me a headache. So it gave me a great taste into the property market. Um, That's all I wanted. Something that was safe, sound and a great taste in my mouth. And then as I grew income, grew appetite for risk, grew, then I started to change pivot and play in different spaces.
0: Yeah. And that's the great thing about podcasts as well. There's a lot, there's a lot out there now. Um, I mean, that would, that was some of my first mentors were, were, um, Was it Smart Property Investment? SPI? Is it Smart Property? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's
1: disgusting.
0: They were growing their portfolio um, live um, many years ago and loved it. And then they'd bring on guests. Like that's what you pick up. You just pick up those people along along the journey, and then live I, sessions. I tell so tell that what, I love
1: I, right. I love the um, I love the smart property, uh, the, the your property investment, and the API as well. Like I used to love reading through those investor kind magazine. of profiles, and just sort of that's how I reached out to quite probably quite a number of people I still keep in contact with now who were sort of starting their journey and all that sort of stuff. So. I mean, cool. if you reach out to me, I'm sorry, I'll probably re- respond to you in two years' time. I, I do, yeah. I, I'm not saying I'm oh, too important or too busy to respond, but you, okay. You're almost
0: finished. Speaking of, we're wrapping up here, but there's a great oh, question yeah, here. I actually wanted question. to get. We have to answer. I do, I do want to get your opinion on this. Um, I know you've almost finished, so that's nice of them to acknowledge that. But I am a first home buyer. Should I buy? And now I'm gonna. When they say home buyer, I'm gonna assume they're meaning investor rather than. PPOR purchase for their home. Should I buy new so I can depreciate, or should I buy an existing property? Um, Somebody, what what, what do you see? What do you see happen in these scenarios, Jeremy?
2: So, first and foremost, we start with the old sentence: Negative gearing is not a strategy; it's an outcome. You do not buy something to lose money, or to buy something that depreciates quite heavily in value just to get a refund. You'll get bitten in most cases more than not. Now in saying that, I'm always focusing on the area. If a new property in that area has the capability of doing well and I've bought and built new property in new area because I've I've invested because of the value of the area, not because of the property itself, then that's fine. Whether it's old or new, it does not matter. But to just pigeonhole, I'm buying new because of depreciation and I don't care where I'm buying, Go buy in the middle of Burke, overpay for it. You won't have any capital growth and it will cost you an arm and a leg and you'll get a really good tax refund. I'm using that example on a very far extreme. What you need to be focusing on first, forget about buy old and new, is you focus on the area. And if the area that has all the attractive value for growth or rental income is an older area, that's where you're buying. If the focus area is a much newer area with a new property, well, then you're getting a bit of the benefit, which is the depreciation. So first the area, then the value, and then you look at the best applicable property. And if the best applicable property is a brand new property on a like-for-like value to an old property, I'm buying brand new. Of course, that. No, no, no doubt about it. But if the older property is far substantially better value than the newer property, has more value, more X factor attached to it, more opportunity, Depreciation is just a tax benefit. I want the value increase. That's the real money. People make real money by the property increasing in value or the cash flow, not a tax benefit that comes back.
0: Not the property growing in value, the land growing in value. The The building itself is depreciating. So if you're buying on a 400 square metre lot, you're buying the land, let's say it's at $500,000, the land is holding, sorry, the the property is holding most of that value if it's at $500,000. So if you can go buy 800 square meters at $500,000 in a similar area, um, you're better off with double the land size. Um, So I'll ask you a different different question, Jeremy. Of those 1,200 transactions that your clients did, how many of those, I know you probably don't have the numbers, or, um, A thousand down there or how something. many of those were brand new house and land packages focused on investment?
2: I, I don't have that statistic so I'm going to use my gut when I say this. I'd probably say 99 percent of those properties were existing. I, I just don't have many many clients buying brand new property because of the education that we've we've given all the education that they've learned that again they're looking for value x factor. Mm-hmm. And generally, value and X factor in new properties, the developer, the builder, and the real estate agents made all that money.
1: That um, they're the
2: one, yeah, they've stripped the X factor and the value out in most circumstances. But that's not to say that buying brand new in brand new areas doesn't make money. I've made lots of money by buying in brand new areas and brand new properties. But there were underlying reasons why I did it, because the value yeah. of that area was so low to start with, and it only had up to go. Yeah, yeah. But
0: how how many deals did you have before you did that, right? Like you were 5, 10, 20 properties deep before you started to optimize on those things. Absolutely. And to
2: put it in perspective for everybody listening, when I'm developing a property and building it and it's brand new, I'm selling it because that's when the property for me is at its highest sale point.
1: Like a new I'm car, drive it out that's and it loses half its value. In half
2: that's period. it. I'm not waiting two years to, to sell that property because it's not shiny anymore and you're not going to pay overs for it. So when I'm buying property and developing it and building brand new, I'm getting rid of it at the very top as soon as it's completed really? because that's where the biggest value for me has been gained. What about GST? It's part of it's part of developing. It's part What's of your feasibility and part of the business. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's just what you build in. Like business, like we all, you know, small to medium enterprises, Joe and, and yourself, you're in it. We charge GST to our clients because it's a service. It's mandatory by the government. It's just part of what it is. We don't know any different. So for a property developer, adding GST into their feasibility and tax, it's not new. It's not uncommon. It's what we know, and it's just normal. It comes with the process of doing it.
0: Yeah. yeah, so just, there's a que- we should finish
2: que- off, Joe. Let's. Yeah, we this this is
1: absolutely the last comment. Well, last. It's not,
0: Well, it's just a comment. A Friend of mine yeah. bought a house and land package in Clyde, Victoria, for three hundred and eighty thousand in twenty seventeen, and sold it for five hundred and eighty. So that's it. I'm not saying that you can't make money on these things, but if you bought in Queensland for three hundred and eighty thousand dollars, and in twenty twenty you might have made seven hundred thousand dollars. Um. So I would be saying, yeah. what is the opportunity cost of buying a, an asset like that? Um, but you, you can make money in them. But sorry, you've got me ramped. You got, Jeff always cuts me off when, uh, <laughs> when I get too passionate about these house and lands. I see too many people. If, get if anybody's
1: watching and stuff. knows a, a house and land, former house and land salesperson, I reckon we, we need to get not an expose, but I, I want to sort of understand, not, not, not somebody. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be interesting just to sort of. Unpack sales.
0: Just some sales of those tactics. And,
1: yeah. So reach out to me. It's okay to DM me this time. If you know somebody, I'll put a <laughs> post out there anyway. But there we go. This is this is a wrap for us in 2023. This is our last live session. Uh, we're taking a bit of a break. We're coming back about the, uh, We're well, not about it. it. will be the 10th of January next year with, with some new and informative and educational and fun guests. But Jeremy, I want to appreciate you spending closer two hours with us. I know you, you're absolutely, family. yeah, you're not, Probably not at home. Um, so you've got to get there. But for everybody, all the, all the people who have been on the lives this year, thank you for watching and thank you for the guests. And I hope everybody has a a happy and and healthy and safe Christmas and New Year and 2024. But I'll pass it. Good night, Preacher.
0: Love it. Yes. But <laughs> Good night, guys. We, thank we you very to much, Jeremy. Jeremy, Chance. How do we, where, where, do, how how where do we, do we find how Jeremy? People, yeah. How do people learn yeah. more about the, uh, the J-Man?
2: Yeah, so you're more than welcome to reach a out to us on our website, Uh There's a lot of great content, a lot of great videos where I give a lot of great golden nuggets about property investing. So put my name into Google and no, you do not have to click the link below and charge you 10 grand for that for those answers. That's part of my passion. I love to give that out for free and I will plug myself one more time. Um, there is a b- great podcast coming out very soon on what you should have learned at school where I answer lots of people's questions and go through a huge amount of things that we all should have learned financially at school instead of quadratic trinomials. Wait, <laughs>
0: sorry? Um, <laughs> quadratic trinomials? I didn't learn that. I must have missed that session. Um, wait, it's a whole new podcast, is it? So it's not whole- through pizza and property?
2: No, whole oh, new podcast. Okay. What you, sh- what yeah, you should have learned history? at school. What you should have um, learned
0: at school, what they didn't yeah. teach you.
2: Well, actually, what you should have been taught at school, I think. Oh, Todd's got to kill me for not remembering the name, but um, yeah, no, it's a great, great podcast um, that I go through. Really financial uh, financial literacy. Just go through everything that's in my head, everything that I've learnt um, that I apply to every day, and that's what you know gives me a level of success and and I emulate what the very wealthy people are doing, hundred millionaire people. Um, and emulating that so you at home can do exactly the same things.
0: Get it done. Um, I'll tune in. Episode one, you'll have me. Love it, Jeremy. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great Christmas. Have a great holiday. Let's go buy a property and we'll see you next year. Have a good one. See you, guys. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together. Just a quick reminder that anything we covered on this podcast is not considered as financial advice. This is general information only. You need to go and speak with your qualified professionals to understand your unique circumstances as this is general advice only. If you got any value out of this podcast, feel free to recommend us to your friends and leave us a review. Thank you very much for listening and have a fantastic day. Let's go buy a property.